welcome to the Mastering College to Career Podcast, where we're here to help you land your dream job. So if at any time during this episode you find any value, please make sure you take a screenshot and you share it with a friend. And don't forget, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. That will mean the world. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. Welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College to Career Podcast. Today, ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic guest, and I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. I have Martin Crawl. He's a director at the Career Development Center at Western Illinois University. And I met Martin through LinkedIn. Like I meet a lot of the people that I bring into this podcast, and I was very impressed with his, like he's very genuinely talks about being a professional screw up and then spending 20 plus years in career services and career development. And so I don't know that there's many people out there that are as knowledgeable as Martin in this subject of students getting jobs. So without further ado, Martin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Well, thank you very much. I'm fine, uh, um, Daniel. I really am. I'm two days before retirement on Friday. <laughs> I will be leaving uh, Western Illinois after 26 years of service. Wow. So before we dive into you know those 26 mm-hmm. years of service and you know, everything that you've learned and all the students you've worked with, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure, Daniel. I'll try and make this. I'll give you the thumbnail sketch. I don't want to bore anybody to tears. Um, you have to remember the time when I was in college, it was the very early 1970s. And uh, there, not everybody got to go to college in 1971. And there weren't many choices. It was either go to work at the factory, go to college, or end up in Vietnam, probably. And uh, I decided to go to college. And I really had no clue of why I was going. Uh, I, and uh, I actually screwed up my first year of college. And I ended up back at a community college for two years, which I did just okay in, just enough to get into a four-year school. But I, uh, I I turned it around and got good grades and good enough to graduate with a bachelor's degree. Now, this is, as I said, very early in the 1970s, and not everybody had a degree. So the mindset at that time was, if you have a college degree, you could get any job that you wanted. Well, I found out very quickly, in fact, right after graduation day, that that wasn't true. I was trained to do nothing. I I had a few things on my resume, uh, sports, uh, part-time job, uh, fraternity stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And it was nowhere near job market ready. So I ended up uh, working where my father worked, but I was working down in the shipping and receiving and the loading dock. And uh, I was down there for a little bit and uh, I left or was asked to leave after a while. And I bounced around from job to job for a few years. And I was very fortunate, right place, right time, which is very, which is a big thing now being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people. I um, got a job at a community college. In fact, the community college I went to under a federal, uh, federal government uh, job training program where I was literally a paraprofessional academic advisor. Now, you have to remember, I didn't have a master's degree. I had a bachelor's degree, which was in communications. And um, I was basically doing academic advising for students. I didn't do any career stuff or personal stuff because I wasn't trained or had the credentials. And uh, this lasted for a few years, but when the federal funding ran out, my position ran out, but I didn't do anything about it. 
I tried to get a job in academia, but because I didn't have a master's degree, I really couldn't get the type of position I was looking for, a counseling position. So I bounced around from job to job and uh, I was working some dead end things. And then finally I had, you know, I was in my thirties at the time and I was going to get married and, you know, we're going to get a house, a car, the whole, you know, whole nine yards and everything. And I had to do something that, uh, to turn my life around. And then I kind of just took some stock of myself. What did I like doing best? And it was working with university students, college students, but I knew I needed that master's degree. So very simply, what I did was I got a job where I could work unlimited overtime, and it was in a warehouse. And I enrolled in graduate school, in fact, at the same school where I got my undergraduate degree from. And I went part-time uh, at night while I was working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday, and 10 to 5, just about every other Saturday. Uh, I mean, that paid for a lot, as you can imagine. That was unlimited overtime, and it was all on the clock. But it paid for the tuition, paid for a house, paid for a car, paid for a marriage, and paid for a divorce. Um, <laughs> and uh, it took me five years, but I got my master's degree in counseling. And when I was in my, what they call like an externship, it's kind of like what graduate assistants have, only it's at uh, the end of your curriculum after all your coursework is done. I was working at a community college in Chicago. And I noticed uh, that there were a lot of students, both traditional age and non-traditional age, that were really lost, lost lambs when it came to career stuff. And I thought, boy, I'm looking at a mirror image of myself, and this sounds exactly like me, and I don't want anybody to go through what I went through, because I basically wasted 15 years of my life by not taking charge of myself and charge of my life and my career. So I decided, you know, maybe career services is the way to go. So the first job out of graduate school, I got a uh, job in a, at a private college in Chicago, working in there, what they used to call placement, the placement department. And I stayed there for a few years. I learned the business. Uh, it, there was, it was a great proving ground, great training ground, made a lot of great colleagues and friends. And, uh, but it was a glass ceiling job. It, I, I was, there was no way I was going to become the director there. Uh, and it just, it, it was kind of, it was a good job, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of room for advancement. And then the job at Western Illinois University uh, became available and I applied for it and I got it. And I started out as a counselor and moved to assistant director and then associate director and then finally director. And now here we are, you know, <laughs> 26 years later here and just about 29 years in the, in the career services business. And uh, now it's time to leave. <laughs> so that's my life story in a nutshell. What an interesting story. And, and the fact that now you're doing and what you're helping students to avoid the track that you faced for the first 15 years out of college, you know, in your opinion, what is the job of career services? Well, uh, in a very, in, in once again, in a very short, concise way, to prepare young people for the realities of the world. It, that's, that is the purpose of career services. And, and what are, you know, obviously every career services might offer different services, but I know that you're, all, what do you think are, you know, the typical services that students can find at most career services across the country? Oh, all of us in the business, we're going to do a lot of the, what I call the nuts and bolts stuff, the resume writing, the letter writing, job interviewing, job searching. That, that's been going on since time began in our business, and that's going to continue in some shape or form. 
Um, but what I would say is the, the most paramount stuff is, well, there's a number of things, but uh, if you're talking about dealing with seniors, it's uh, even before seniors, uh, sophomores in, in college, second year students, is teaching them the value and getting them involved in networking, joining organizations, like you mentioned, SGA and things like that before when we were talking. Yes, getting involved in student organizations, fraternities, sororities, student groups, getting involved in professional organizations, community service, volunteer work, getting out and meeting people. Uh, it, this is a cliche, but it's very true. It's not what you know, it's who you know in this world. And there is nothing immoral, illegal, or unethical about being a good networker. To me, that's just good business. And that that is one of the things that I think more of our our, our, our profession more in our profession, excuse me, should, uh, we should be concentrating on that. I mean, what is the biggest way that most students, most young people wish to communicate now through social media? So why not make social media a paramount learning experience for students from day one when they hit campus? How to use the network, like what, how we were connected through LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a classic example of how professionals helping other professionals that can help young people just starting out. It, it's you have to be able to meet and greet and know how to talk to people both online and in person. So this all comes back to everything as far as the networking goes. This is something that really needs to be hit home. We don't do enough teaching of how to become what I call a charming pest. <laughs> do you, do you think um, that students is there is there a class that is, like how do career services help students with networking? Is there classes, workshops, or? Oh, sure. Both of them. You're absolutely correct. Uh, we have a class here that's a 300-level course for juniors and seniors that teaches a lot of the nuts and bolts stuff. But that's been revamped and revamped in all the years that I've been here, which is great because it's kept up with the times where we spend an awful lot of time on social media, how to use it, how to network, and how to go out and meet and greet people. I mean, we've done more workshops on LinkedIn than we have ever before in the past two years because more and more people are recognizing the social media is the way to get the employers to the students and the students to the employers. And I, I would think almost all the schools, whether they're large or small or medium sized, they're going to have some sort of class in this and they're going to do the same kind of workshops that we're doing. I, I, that's, that, that's one of those kind of, if you want to say standard issues in our business. That makes sense. I, I recently wrote a, a finished my book and I have like a whole chapter on LinkedIn. I think it, it, LinkedIn is so important, but what I have a question for you. Sure. Why do you think not, not such, such a low percentage of students are actually taking advantage of career services? Like based on what I, my studies that I found, you know, really less than 50% of and that's being very generous of students are actually visiting career services and taking advantage of those resources. Hmm. Did did you say less than 50%? Yes. Oh, I would say it's less than maybe 30%. Um, the reason, uh, there, well, once again, I don't have any hard and fast data in front of me, but the reason being is it, it's a number of things. One, uh, the students, especially if we're talking about first and second year students, they might not see the urgency or the need to do this. And that could be for a number of reasons. One, they probably have decided what their career path is going to be so they know what to do in a, in a roundabout way so they don't see us as a necessity at the time. Or two, they're just not interested at this time. Um, 
if they're juniors and seniors and haven't used the service, uh, once again, it could be that they've already made the decision. They're, they're, they know what their career path is going to be. They have a polished resume. They know how to, they know how to interview. They know uh, basically how to network. So they don't see us at, that they need us at this time. And then again, it could be other things that even though we, we inundate the students with email blasts, with all sorts of, and once again, through social media, all the things that we do, all the workshops we put on, our career fairs, all the special programs that we have, all the, all the resources we have, if they choose, and that's a key word, Daniel, if they choose not to, uh, to do this, that, you know, once again, that is their choice. Uh, also, there's another factor in here. It could be that the message is not getting through somehow, some way, uh, and I have I have no idea why. It's a question I've been asking myself you know, for almost uh, 29 years in this business. So uh, it, it's going to run the gamut of, of a bunch of different reasons why not enough students are taking advantage of this. Also, another thing is when they hear how good the job market is, what do they keep talking about in the national news and the national media? That unemployment is at the, what, 40-year 40 40 low? It's 3.8%. When you go back 10 years, when it was almost, what, 10% or 9% unemployment? Yeah, then people are going to come and use your service. When they hear that it's only 3% or 3.8%, they're probably not going to use the service because they think that the job market is going to be waiting for them with open arms. And in some cases, it will be if they're in a high career demand area. They will be. If they're not, well, then they might be in for the shock of their lives. And that goes back to what I said about preparing them for the realities of the world. So, so I've done a lot of studies and different statistics. And there's a statistic that says that 85% of college students graduate college without a job. And I also found out that the unemployment for recent grads, it's actually 54%, which is crazy to think mm-hmm. that the overall national unemployment is less than 4%. And my thoughts on all that is, you know, I, I think a lot of students lack the focus and they just don't have, they don't have the, a clear idea of what they want to do once they graduate. And so they can't be the per- ideal candidate to a hundred companies. So I always suggest having more of a sniper approach of job searching and becoming the ideal candidate for the top 10 companies that you want to work for. And a lot of them are looking for similar things. Like if you wanted to do a management Mm -hmm. training program for a a fortune 50 company, they're a lot of times looking for very similar things like leadership qualities, work ethic, communication skills, analytic, analytical skills. But I guess the question that I have for you, is there any statistics to show what's the percentage of students that actually use the career services and use all the resources versus the ones that don't in terms of placement rate? Well, that's Daniel, that's a really good question. As far as the first part of that, with what is the percentage of students that utilize the services, I think the National Association of Colleges and Employers, our national governing body, probably tracks that data. We do not track that data any longer in the office. We haven't for quite a few years. And as far as placement rates go, uh, we haven't tracked that in years either. That goes through our institutional research office. So I really don't have any hard and fast data on it. I, I can give you a roundabout answer on that. That's fine. The reason, the reason why a lot of students, you know, you hear those numbers that they don't find employment right away. It, once again, it could be a number of things, but it usually falls into one of these categories. One, that they have young people have overestimated their worth in the marketplace. And what I mean by that is um, 
somebody, the best way I can describe it is this, somebody that comes out of a school, regardless of size, regardless of prestige level, that has a bachelor's degree in liberal arts and, you know, eight summers of being a lifeguard and belong to one, you know, student organization uh, is probably, you know, not going to look real attractive to employers because what do they have on their sheet? Not much. Remember I said at the beginning when I was giving you my life story, I had nothing on my sheet when I graduated. So this, this plays into it. And I think the best way I can describe this, Daniel, is really simple. As I just, as I just you know, told you about the student that has the bachelor's degree, you know, six summers of lifeguarding, can you know, maybe speak a foreign language, you know, belongs to a bunch of student groups, but they have nothing else going for them. And then you look at the next student who is maybe not the best student GPA, also has a bachelor's degree, you know, maybe doesn't speak a foreign language, maybe only belongs to one or two student groups, but has had internships in a related field they want to go into, then who's going to look more attractive to the employer? Right. The one with the internships. See, the degree is one thing, and this is what I'm getting at. Don't get me wrong. I think young people should get as much education as they can, get as many degrees as you possibly can. But a degree without any experience with it anymore just just it just doesn't work. And it didn't work as as I explained in my situation. It didn't work back in 1974 five. It's not going to work now because employers don't want to train anybody anymore. They want people to hit the ground running from day one. They're going to look at that experience before anything else. Don't get me wrong. There are, you know, some, some degrees are, are, are job market ready, accounting, engineering, supply chain management, anything in healthcare, anything in high tech, you know, business, uh, agriculture, the sciences, they're ready to go. But what about everybody else? What about the liberal arts majors, the, the fine arts majors that, you know, that traditionally don't have a lot of experiential learning on their sheet? And, and that really is the key in all this stuff. So that's probably one of the major reasons why a lot of students uh, are, are not employed. And the next thing is they probably don't start early enough. If, you've, if you were graduating in May of a year, you should start your job search the following September or whatever, August, when a lot of career fairs happen on campuses, they need to start, you know, nine months before they graduate. They really do. They, they, they've got to get out there and really, really, uh, as I said, hit the bricks. I agree with what you said, the sniping, that makes perfect sense. Don't send out 100 resumes. It's not going to work. That's shotgunning. If you ever shoot a shotgun, it, it's, the spread is wide. It usually doesn't hit just one thing. It hits multiple things, but it really doesn't do anything. But if you're sniping, you're aiming at one target, which makes perfect sense. So rather than 100 companies, apply to 10 that you're interested in working. I agree with you 100% on that. I tell the kids all the time, don't just shotgun resumes, because if you're not going to follow up with it, nobody's going to listen to you. If you think you're going to be waiting by the phone for them to call, not going to happen. But if you target it, 10 companies, and you follow up, and you become, as I said, that charming pest, you will probably stand a better chance of at least getting interviews. And once you're in the interview seat, uh, more than half the battle is done. I love it. And some of the things you kind of already covered, but on your LinkedIn, you have the six step program for university students. And <laughs> when I read yeah. all six, I really loved it. So if you don't remember them on top of your head, I have them all because it's right in front of me. 
but I if I would love to kind of go through them and because they sure well, I, I've got them I remember them yeah Daniel that's yeah. fine go ahead <laughs> let's start let's talk about number one yeah you you've got to do your research you've got to know what you're getting yourself into the classic example is the student that sits in my office and wants to be a psychologist and I'll tell them well, that's great guess what go home and tell mom and dad you're going to be in school for the next 10 years and they look at me like I fell from the planet Zoltan and I'm like no you're going to get a bachelor's degree you're probably going to have to get a master's degree and probably going to have, and not probably you are going to have to have a PhD really yes so what do we do we take them to a, a site like the occupational outlook handbook online and say, here's what a psychologist does. Here's the training. Here's the education you need. Well, then their eyes get real big when they see it. So you've got to research the career. And one of the first, Daniel, one of the first things I, I tell students is don't overthink this, but tell me all the stuff you don't want to do. And usually that list is pretty long. So that makes it my job that much easier. So I said, okay, let's pick out a half a dozen job titles that you think you'd like to do. Well, then if you show them this research and how to use the research, then they have a better idea of what they're getting themselves into. You've got to find out what a career, that particular career occupation is all about. Otherwise, you're just going in blindly. I, I think that number one is so important. Um, one of the things I encourage students to do is to spend a day in the life of the career that you're looking for. So um, mm -hmm. I think the best way, you know, after you do some research on your own using the computer or anything like that i don't think that information that you see on the computer is just enough to make a life change like a life such an important decision as something you're going to do for 20 30 years i say take yeah. a little step further and say why don't you spend a day an afternoon a couple of hours with a couple of people that do that profession and see if you can you see yourself doing that for you know for the rest of your career professional career um if you can't do that, there's, there's other options. Like um, there's a podcast that I send students to. It's called A Day in the Life. And they literally mm -hmm. go a step-by-step -step from the time that someone wakes up to the time that they, they go to sleep and, and say like a labor, lawyer, labor and employment lawyer. They talk about a data scientist mm -hmm. at LinkedIn. And so that at least gives you a little bit more insight. And it's all about information. And I really think that this is more like a, an example I tell students is like dating. Would you marry somebody? At the first time you see somebody, no, you kind of have to go on a day, experience it, and then maybe your boyfriend, right. girlfriend, and that's six months, and maybe that's your internship. But once you go into the steps and you've experienced it, you have more like information to make a better decision, then you're, you're more right. likely to be successful because I forgot the statistics, but the, the, the amount of people that change careers throughout their lives and say, oh, I'm an accountant. And then you, I, I hear stories all the time, an accountant and the, the accountant, re, re, like after 10 years says, you know what, I want to be a musician. Like it's insane. Right. No, I agree with you on that one too, Daniel. If you want to call it informational interviews or job shadows, without a doubt, we try to, we, we try to instill that upon students that this is a perfect way to find out because people love talking about their job. So if you sit, you spend a day with them or so, you'll see what it's really all about, the good points, the bad points, and the in-between points. So I agree with you on that one. If more and more people saw exactly what these professions do and these professionals do, excuse me, then I think that would really help the cause. You, you are, you are 100% correct on that. Yeah. So let, let's move on to number two, you know, choosing the appropriate okay. academic major. What are your thoughts? Well, once again, it goes back to 
um, after the research and, you know, if you were doing informational interviews or job shadows, they'll tell you straight up, kid, this is what you're going to need. This is the type of degree I got. This is the type of, you know, degree that will probably best suit you. And what I, why I wrote that was uh, one of the things that we were talking about, we see t too many students changing majors very, uh, very willy nilly with very little rational thought to it. Oh, I'm having a hard time in my math class. So I want to get out of this and go to general studies or something. And I'll, I'll question, I'll say, why? Just because you're doing, you know, you're having a hard time with one class, you want to drop a whole major? Well, that's going to might take you out of your, you know, quote unquote, dream job. So, yeah, you got to have the appropriate major for, for whatever career you're going into. Like I said, you want to be an accountant, you're going to have to have an accounting degree. So guess what? You're probably going to have to deal with mathematics. You're going to deal with accounting. You're going to deal with economics. It's just the way it is. Um, that's why they have to know the types of degrees that are that are obviously going to be suited for the career that they're 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 choosing or choosing to go into. Excuse me. Yeah, and you better stick to it because I see too many students bouncing in and out of out of careers. Uh, I mean, out of academic majors, and it's usually because one or two classes are yanking their chain. And I hate to say it, but I will. Sometimes you get just going to have to deal with it, and you're really going to have to you know buckle down and and do get the grades. I mean, it, it, it's like it's like the the uh, health education let me be a good one like nursing or physical therapy. They can't get by biology. Well, you're gonna you better get by biology because you're gonna need that just to get the degree. So, yeah, it, it's really really important once they once they've decided on a career. This is the major that is best suited for that, and and stay as I wrote. You got to stick to it. Yeah, my only thoughts on number two is that because most students are picking majors like before they even start start school a lot of times they're not mm -hmm. taking enough time to do the research to do number one to really understand mm -hmm. that major and so a lot of times let's say the example of accountant i want to be an accountant and then they get to those tough level accounting co courses and they can't yep. seem to be passing it because they're not so they're, the conviction for being an accountant is not strong enough it seems like mm -hmm. it's easier to just change majors and that's why i really encourage students to do the research as early as possible because once you really identify and, if, and you, you invest so much time into doing the research, that the right. fact that you have to retake a class might not be that big of a deal. Exactly. Uh, it, it always comes down to asking the young people, what is the end goal? If this is the end goal that you want and this is what you need to get to that end goal, then guess what? Somehow, some way, somewhere, you're going to have to accomplish that. And that might be, like you said, taking a class over again. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you know, Danielle, it's one of the classic questions I ask students all the time. How bad do you want this? Yeah. And I wait for their answer. <laughs> I love it. And so let's move on to number three. Let's talk mm -hmm. about point number three. I think this is, I mean, these are all so important, but let's talk about number three. Oh, the, the related experience. Exactly. Uh, I wrote on there two, three or four, that, which is kind of impossible. But actually, I've seen some students that have had four internships. Um, it goes back to what I said uh, a while ago about experiential learning is the key. The more varied experiences they have that are related to what they want to go into, not necessarily what their major is, but what they want to go into. Like I said, it's the liberal arts major that wants to be an investment banker, but doesn't want to be a business major. 
might have had an internship at Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, <laughs> American Express. That's going to look very attractive when they go to apply at the investment bank, isn't it? So that 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 is the key in there. Number three is is really what what I stress more than anything else. See, we have some majors here at WIU that have built in internships into their curriculum. So they're already one step ahead of some of the other students. But just because it's not into the curriculum doesn't mean people can't go out and get this experiential learning. And I think a lot of students are realizing that because they want to be more marketable. But uh, once again, that's a personal choice. If, you, if it's not part of your major and you choose not to do it, once again, don't expect the world of work to be waiting with open arms. 100%. I think interviews, uh, internships are, are key. And I, I yes. think, in my opinion, there's three types of internships. There's discovery internship, which is all about discovering if this is the right field or not, really really closely related to number one. And, and mm-hmm. that's when you have a little bit more idea of what you want to do. And so you do uh, an internship just, you know, to kind of wet your feet. The second one uh-huh. is experience. It's all about building that experience to the like what it is all about related job experience and the number three i call it get your foot in the door internship because it's much easier to get an internship at goldman Sachs or at google than it is to get a full-time job out of college so i always talk yeah (laughs) like your 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 junior going into your senior year internship that summer should be reserved Mm -hmm. for your getting get your foot in the door internship i love it that's a perfect way to put it because that, what happens then is that you do the summer internship, you go back to school in August, and the majority of these companies that have summer internships, they're not doing summer internships because they need help doing a task. They're looking to extend job offers. And 80% of the people that do internships receive job offers. And so in an ideal world, if a student does it right, they'll have a job offer one year before they graduate. And so that means you're not oh. stressing about a career. You get to enjoy your last year as a senior and, and, and still be able to be involved. You should still keep up your GPA, but having okay. that, that dark cloud on top of you worrying about internship or having a job offer is very scary and stressful. But another yes, it is. made up internship, I call build your own internship. And this is probably a good thing to do your freshman and sophomore year is, you know, a lot of times you hear this, how can I get an internship? Because a lot of this internship are asking for experience. And so is that, you need experience to gain experience deal. Well, I think you can <laughs> yeah. own nowadays because you can say, okay, what do I want to learn this summer? And you can go to lynda.com. You can take extra classes. You can go to LinkedIn learning, even YouTube mm-hmm. University, example. And then you can create a list of 10 to 20 companies that you want to learn more about, which we talked about a day in, in the life of, and be able to re- right. research multiple careers so that when you go into fall, you have a much better understanding and you have a clear path of what you want to do at college. Couldn't have said it any better. It's all about this taking control now, early on in their careers, not waiting eight weeks before graduation. Uh, I love the idea of the the way you described the internships. And yeah, the first one, that's a good one because it might confirm or deny, hey, this is for me or this isn't for me. Then you can always shift gears at that point. Yes. Uh, if you want to, but uh, yeah, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me. I love it. So let's talk about number four, which is get as much additional work experience as possible. Well, in addition to having the stuff that's related, you know, a lot of employers look for transferable skills that they've learned on other jobs. Um, for example, 
McDonald's. Everybody makes fun of McDonald's, but they are, have one of the most recognized training programs in, in the country. Uh, I'll give you an example. This is, this is many years ago, Daniel. I had a student who worked at McDonald's for a while. He, was, he had left school, worked for a while, then decided to come back, and he was an assistant manager at, at, a, at a McDonald's. And so on his resume, he had his job title as assistant manager, but the first bullet point he had was put fries in the deep fryer. You know, I'm like, well, if you were the assistant manager, I'm sure you had to do that, take frozen potatoes and put them in hot oil at one time. But as an assistant manager, what was your management role? And then all of a sudden he started telling me all the stuff he did as a manager. And that's full of those transferable skills, scheduling, leadership, training. This looks very attractive to employers. So that's what I meant by get as much additional work experience as, as possible. The more experience you have, even if it's not related, is still going to transfer into the new job because it shows, once again, as I said, leadership, uh, the ability to work with others. Uh, it just shows, uh, it, it establishes credibility that you work during school. And uh, and if they see a less than stellar GPA, if they ever ask for it, they're going to understand why something had to give there. And that's another thing I tell students: don't worry about the GPA too much. Yeah, if you want to go to med school, you better have a 3.9 and change. <laughs> but I mean, if you want to work in certain areas, some employers are not going to put a lot of store in GPA. They're going to look at your level of work experience and those transferable skills. So that that's basically why I included that. I agree. You know, so one of the, the most popular jobs um, the students have during college, you know, is servers, servers and sales associates, mm-hmm. like a retail shop. And students mm-hmm. don't give those jobs enough credit. I talk about the server people. That's one of the most popular roles the students do and how very similar example you're talking about the McDonald's. I, I challenge them to um, because you, I want those students to be as quantifiable as possible in their resume. So is that like, I manage people. No, I manage five people. And so I talk about them being able to say, okay, let's say that your dream job is to work for a management training company and they're looking for leadership, communication skills, and analytical skills. Well, you can show all that as a server. You can go up to your manager and say, I want to be able to know what percent, like what's the percent average do I get in tips per check? Is it, is the restaurant average 18%? Well, I want to make sure I'm at 21, 22%. I also want to know, if, if, if you give me a goal of selling um, desserts or alcohol more than that restaurant average, because now every restaurant has a smart POS system, then you'll be able to track and be able to set goals, look at the data, be analytical, and be able to achieve those goals. And whatever that might be, and you can even say, well, I want to be a trainer, and you can track the retention rate of the individuals that you train versus the individuals that were mm-hmm. trained by other people. And so- right. A simple job that people think, oh, I'm a server, right? Or I work at McDonald's or I work at a retail uh-huh. shop can be converted as long as you are mindful about that, right? If you're just going to work just to do the job, then you're going to get those results. If you're going to go above and beyond. Am- well, go ahead. I'm go- sorry I interrupted. No, no, no. You- go ahead. If you go above and beyond, you're going to get above and beyond results. You are absolutely correct. It, it, first of all, employers love numbers. When they see numbers on a resume, that grabs their attention. We all love that. But you, you bring home a very good point, and this is something I tell young people also. If you don't think it's important, a total stranger is not going to think it's important. You, I, I understand it's a server's job. I understand it's working in retail. 
but the skills there and the things that you accomplished, not did, but the thing, there's a difference between job, job duties and accomplishments. The thing that you, the things that you accomplished are still going to look very attractive to, to the new employer. So it's, it's all, a lot of times, Daniel, it's about pumping up uh, the young person's ego, if you will, a little bit and being a cheerleader for them saying, yeah, you've got some real good stuff here, but here's how we market it. Here's how you sell it. Here's how you present this to a total stranger. I love it. I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Um, so we are number five. This is right. Oh, the market yourself. It, it really comes down to self-promotions. Once again, it, 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 there's nothing immoral, illegal, unethical about this. It's not about ego. See, there's a difference between someone who's an egomaniac and someone who's assertive, aggressive. Egomaniac is just somebody who's running their mouth and not backing up anything. A assertive, aggressive person is going to be a lot more is, is going to be a lot more uh, sure of themselves, confident about what they're, what they're able to do. And that's what I mean by having that. You notice networking was the first thing I said. First part of that, you've got to have a killer resume. We've talked about that. You've got to have stuff on your sheet. Interviewing, you, can, you know, everybody looks good on paper, my friend. But if you can't sell it in the interview, you're lost. And selling it means by providing concrete examples, if you want to call it behavioral-based interviewing, we can call it that. You've got to back up your accomplishments with, here's what would happen, here's what I did, and here was the outcome to every single answer. And the, the job search, method. that's the third part. Pardon me? I'm sorry? The, the STAR method, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it, what it comes down to. And then the last part, the, the job search skills. Too many people think I'll just go online and look at, you know, uh, ZipRecruiter Indeed and I'll apply. Well, that, don't get me wrong. That's a good idea. But use all your resources. Get out there. Join a professional organization. Go out and press the flesh. Talk to people. Do informational interviews. Do job shadows. You know, be active in something. Be active in LinkedIn. I see too much passiveness on LinkedIn from, from students at times. They, they they get into a job beggar mentality sometimes. I'm a so-and-so graduate looking for this. I want to do this. I want this. Rather than saying, I'm a so-and-so graduate of this school, and here is what I've done. X amount of this, X amount of that, director of this, or lead, uh, chapter president of this. It, it, and to me, that is not bragging. That is That is assertive aggressiveness. And I think it's important that we instill that upon young people that if you're going to say all this stuff, great, make sure you back it up and you're going to, you're going to do well the rest of your lives. It really comes down to that about self-promotions and marketing. Yeah, absolutely. When I, when I look at, like you said, networking, killer resume, superior interviewing skills and job searching skills. I think when it comes to uh, networking, networking is king, but the biggest problem that I see students is their follow-up. They'll go to an event, mm -hmm. they'll go to career services or career fair and they'll meet 10, 20 great you know, connections, you know, campus recruiters, but they never, they fail to follow up. That's their biggest weakness when mm -hmm. it comes to students. Uh, when it comes to a killer resume, I think it is very important to understand what a resume is. And, and what I think a right. resume is, is the most biased document in the world. It's all the good things you've done in your life with none of the bad. So the more numbers that you can put to back up that information that you have mm -hmm. there, the more credible you become. And then when it comes to interviewing, right. I think, you know, the behavioral questions that are going to come and understanding what each company is going to ask you, all that information is out there through Glassdoor and other websites. 
but it's also very important that the students are interviewing the employers back. Like understand because exactly. that is so important because your first job out of college is really going to set the foundation for the rest of your college career. And so you want to make sure that, that you can see yourself working there as well. And, um, and you do that in the end by asking them a couple of questions and you don't have to like ask them as many questions as they ask you, but having a couple of questions that get you clarity and don't ask for questions that you can find on their website. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, it's a two-way street, even though sometimes employers think it's a one-way street. Uh, uh, the, the, the student, the applicant, they have to ask some very specific questions back. You are correct. You must interview them because you want to know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, and too often they'll ask, well, what's a typical day like? If I hear that one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, because there is no such thing as a typical day like. But if they ask, well, what do you see as the challenges for someone starting out in this position? That gives me a better, that gives, that'll give them a better idea of what they're getting themselves into. So yes, you, the, the applicants must interview the interviewer, uh, because usually that's the person they're going to be working for. And you know, that, that person, his or her mindset might sway the applicant's decision on, eh, this is not right for me. So I, yeah, I agree. It's a two-way street. My favorite, favorite, all-time favorite question to ask as your last question is the following. Is there any particular reason why you think I might not be a good fit for this job? And when a student asks that question, it gives mm -hmm. them one opportunity to overcome the employer's objection. So the reason could be not enough leadership experience or not enough relevant experience or whatever that objection the employer has. But if the student now has one opportunity to kind of talk through a couple of stories or a couple of points that, that kind of overcomes their objection. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it in their lap, um, the interview, interviewer's lap. The one I, I tell students um, that they might want to consider asking is this one. Well, tell me about the person, the type of person you are looking for. And then the employer will usually tell them what they're looking for. Then I say to the students, you tell them you're that person and back it up with fact, rhyme, and reason. And you'll probably get, a, you'll probably get another interview or the job out of it. So it, it's, it's a setup question that can work to the applicant's advantage. That is actually a really good one. Martin, what is number six? Uh, well, it, it, the last line says it, it says it all. You got to pay your dues before you can sing the blues. Uh, it, it, you just have to. Every, everybody has at some shape or form. Sometimes paying the dues isn't as long for, for some people as it is others. Uh, some, some companies are going to promote very heavily uh, from within and they're going to, they're going to nurture their young professionals and move them along up the food chain. And that's good, but not all organizations are that way. But regardless of the organization, a young person just starting out in their career has to give it, in my opinion, three years or so. Um, the first year, they're just learning where the coffee pot is and the parking space is. Uh, second year, they're learning the ropes. Uh, hopefully, they're learning it the first year, too. But the second year, they're really getting into the nuances of things, maybe working on special projects, you know, really building up that, that track record. Third year is the time to start thinking about well, maybe I can move up within the organization. If after four years, if you ain't moving up, it's time to be moving on. And I don't see anything wrong with that, to be honest with you. The days of someone like me, you know, as I said, I'm going to be 66 years of age in about a month. 
the days of our generation of baby boomers, you know, staying at one place forever. And like I said, I've been here 26 years. Those days are gone. Unless you really, really, I mean, really love it and you're moving up in the food chain, then by all means stay. But after three or four years and you don't see much movement upwardly, then maybe it's time to look ahead. And once again, as I said, I don't see anything wrong with that. I almost expect young people after five years, you know, let's say four or five years, it, it, that they'll move on. And you know what? I think a lot of employers understand that. That's why more and more employers are, are, want to nurture young professionals because they want to keep the good ones and they want to keep that rolling because that means, you know, the machine, meaning the employer, keeps rolling and they keep making profit, which is why they're in business. So, uh, but you still got to give it time. I mean, you, too often, well, I didn't get promoted. How long have you been on the job? Seven months. Oh, geez. You know, come on. Like I said, you're just learning where to coffee, how to use the coffee pot probably. Uh, so, yeah, it, it takes time becoming a professional. I worked for a great man for 18 years before I was made director of this office. So what does that tell you? In my case, I loved it. And in my case, you know, like I said, different generational mindset. So either way, uh, you, you, no matter who you are, you've got to give it some time and build up that track record. Uh, I mean, if you're leaving every year for a job, for another job, you look like a job hopper. Leaving every four years means, ah, you left your mark one here at this place, which looks good. You left your mark at this other place. Now we're ready to go. And, that, and I believe that's what a lot of employers are looking for. I'm not asking them to chisel their life in stone, Daniel, uh, especially if they're freshmen, 18 years old. They, they just want to know how their roommate is. Um, but yes, if they take one thing away from our, our discussion here, which I've enjoyed thoroughly, by the way, uh, if they take one thing away from this, that they are responsible for them. We're here to help. We're here to, to sh kind of show them the way we'll give them the tools. We'll show them how to use the tools and we'll show them how to read the blueprint, but we're going to let them build a house. Oh, perfect. That, that's amazing. That's amazing advice. Cause you're right. Like at the end of the day, we can take a horse to water, but we can't force them to drink. So it's really up to the students to take this information, to go to career services, to right. There's all these resources available to them. All they have to do is want the help and understand why they, why it's it's in their best interest so um you've been an amazing guest thank you so so much enjoy your retirement my friend um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you already have a lot of things planned so thank you again. oh yeah a lot of golf a lot of golf well daniel Daniel, thank you so much for inviting me onto your program. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. I, I'm humbled by this, uh, considering I was a professional screw-up for a lot of years. Uh, but I, I want to wish you all, all the best in your future endeavors. You sound like a real stand-up guy. You know, I mean, you got your whole life ahead of you. So just keep plugging away and keep shaking things up, and, and you're going to do well the rest of your life, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for everybody listening to this podcast, thank you for listening, and catch you guys on the next episode if you're listening to me right now you my friend have made it to the end of the podcast i want to take some time to thank you and congratulate you for being different and taking control of your career doing things like listening to this podcast putting yourself out there and building the experience needed to land your dream job is what's going to set you apart and not be just another statistic so great job keep it up and if you're enjoying this podcast please share it with your friends and make sure you subscribe and leave us a review talk to you soon